Greetings, everyone. My name is Peter Diager, and this is yet another one of the interviews that we're doing for the podcast Y2K and Autobiography. Today, I'm lucky. I get to talk about something that has been on my mind for a while, and I haven't discussed it at all in any of the previous podcasts, and that is the whole issue of the offshore work that Y2K initiated. Our guest today is Charles Savola. He is the IS director from Prudential. You'll remember that Prudential because we had Irene Deck on. She pointed me in Chuck's direction and said he'd be the perfect person to talk about the issue that you're missing in the whole series. So, Chuck, Charles, which do you prefer? Uh, I go by Chuck. Okay. Chuck, uh, welcome to the show. This is your show. This is your story. And we're going to start where you wanted to start. What was the scope of everything that you were doing? Well, first off, thanks, Peter, for having me. Um, this is a, an interesting topic. It was a, a big part of my career, and I'm anxious to talk about it again. So thanks for having me. Uh, the, the scope of the program, um, as Irene probably mentioned to you, that we had a Y2K program for each of the BUs at Prudential, and individual life insurance was uh, the largest BU, and that's the one I was responsible for. We had uh, 54 million lines of code spread out over 464 applications that we had to remediate. And uh, no conversation around scope can be complete unless we talk about how we went about uh, remediating the Y2K problem. Uh, and in the ILI, we decided that we were gonna use expansion of the date fields versus interpretive logic. That was the direction our CIO wanted to use and it was a more complete uh, solution. So that's the, the path we went down. While it was a more complete solution, it added a level of complexity that we had to deal with. So uh, first off, uh, whenever you're changing uh, the date fields and you're expanding them, there's a, uh, even more testing that needs to be done as a result of that. But there's also a complexity in terms of how the interfaces work. So as you introduce new remediated code into the production platform, there might be uh, interfaces with uh, applications that have not yet been uh, remediated. So that necessitates the need for uh, bridges to communicate between the remediated and the unremediated. That was a whole level, another level of complexity that we had to manage through. So um, when you talk about 54 million lines and 464 apps, that has to be looked at with the backdrop of how we expanded versus, versus using windowing logic. So that's how big of a project that we had. Whenever we talked about the expansion, that ripple effect as the new data started to permeate into the other systems was always a challenge. The, the metaphor I always used was that children's game of pickup sticks, where you take a whole bunch of sticks, you drop them on the table, and then you have to remove the sticks one at a time without interfering with any of the other sticks on the table. And that was always the thing that came to mind when I, when I thought about remediation, where you're going to expand all the dates. Where do you start? And how do you make sure you aren't messing up the other programs while you're fixing the one you're working on? You know, I've never looked at it that way, but that's an excellent metaphor in that uh, we absolutely had the, that issue that we had to contend with. And, and uh, it was something that was a significant management challenge that uh, we had to deal with. You know, we talk about Y2K. In reality, changing one line of code was easy. You could give it to your most junior programmer, but it was coordinating all the changes to make sure that the changes didn't affect each other negatively, you know, in any way, shape, or form. And that was the, the, the point that you made about the, it increased the need for testing. 
every time you touch something, you had to test the almost, not quite everything else, but you had to test all the interfaces to make sure that all the interfaces continue to work properly. How did you organize all of this at Prudential? Sure. So uh, Prudential is a very large organization, as, as you know, and Irene Deck was the was overall responsible at the enterprise for the program office um, at that level. So she was the, uh, ran the program office that set overall policy. She was our external facing um, uh, lead for Prudential and um, really set the tone for the entire firm. Each business unit at Prudential had its own program office and I led uh, the individual life insurance uh, program office. So there was the overall program office and then there was our BU program office. And we set the strategy for our BU, we created the plan, we executed and controlled that plan to completion. Inside our business unit, each application area of those 464 applications, each application area was responsible for their, their application and how that was gonna be remediated. So um, one of our key, uh, key guidelines was that each organization area kept the app and the responsibility and accountability to do the remediation. That kept the, uh, the work with the organization that had the expertise and allowed us to continue to use the existing tools that application area had and their test beds uh, to, to do the work. The program office was responsible for all the program management within the BU, any common tools that we had for uh, our business unit, policies, procedures, uh, project management and quality assurance, and we'll talk more about that, uh, certification standards and overall approval for each certification for each application. Uh, we also established a relationship with an offshore organization called Tata Consultancy Services. I'll refer to it as TCS going forward. Uh, they were a, a large outsourcer, not extremely well-known at that point in time. I think uh, TCS is very well-known at this point, but uh, they, uh, they were responsible and, and had, we had done a little bit of work with them in the past, but we'd established a relationship with them where we provided the option to our application areas to send their code to them to do the expansion. Uh, they had specific uh, expansion expertise uh, and they certainly brought scale to it because that we, they were offering this to uh, as, a, as a product uh, to the IT community at large. So they brought scale and economics to the fight, which was uh, important to us at that point. There were three ways for us to certify our applications with an ILI. First upgrade, the most obvious, remediating the code that you had. And we referred to those as upgrade units. There was replace. So if there was an application that we thought that we still needed uh, to perform that function, but rather than remediating old code that we put new code, a brand new system in place, we replace it and that was what we call a replacement unit. And then finally, if we had an, a, an application that supported an obsolete business practice or it was no longer needed, we would simply retire that application. So we had those three types of methodologies to remediate, upgrade, replace and retire. And that was actually the first major task that the application areas had to choose was how they were gonna, how they were gonna proceed with their remediation for their application. Fast. How did you first become engaged with Tata? So previous to the Y2K program, uh, I have to take a step back. Prudential, sure. back in the early days of uh, mainframe programming, we developed our, our own version of COBOL that was known as Pru COBOL. And uh, this was 
absolutely predates me, but uh, that was the, uh, the, the language that almost everything that we had in our operating environment was written in. As technology progressed and in the early 90s, we realized we were being held back at that point by our Prue COBOL, our own instance of the language. And we had to convert to a, a mainstream version of Prue, a Prue COBOL, commonly available Prue COBOL. That was a very significant effort and uh, was something that was going to be uh, better outsourced to somebody who had the expertise and the manpower and the economics to be able to perform that for us. We first contracted with TCS to do that work, and that's how we opened our relationship with them. And that was, that was early 90s. And then uh, by that time, we had a relationship with them, and then when the Y2K program came along, they were in the process of establishing a practice that uh, would allow them to do the expansion work, and that's how we opened our relationship with them for this program. Fascinating. See, one of the things that has puzzled people, myself included, is that why, why did the North American Y2K experience differ so strongly from other parts of the world? The last, one of the last episodes I did was the question of Italy. And I think you've just you know, nailed one of the reasons. We invented the wheel here. We started in North America by doing things like, we're, well, we're going to create our own programming language. Uh, we're not going to use what's out there because what was out there didn't meet our needs. So we're all inventing our own thing. By the time computing got to Europe, they'd learnt from that lesson. Don't reinvent the wheel. Use the things that other people have made. So you've you know, added another weight to my argument that it was different in North America than it was everywhere else. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's... A, it is interesting because computing here was not the same as everywhere else. And I think that's one of the things that, though I don't think any of us really glommed on to that difference when we were in the midst of Y2K. We were also yeah. focused on what we were doing, that we didn't give a thought to what the actual problem was in other countries. Japan would be another example of that. Sure. So how did the relationship then work? When, you know, we talk about sending code overseas. For some of the listeners who maybe have no technical background, how exactly did we do that? I mean, sure. we didn't send over pieces of paper. What did we do? Sure. So as I said before, each application area was accountable for their work. It was their option to avail themselves to that TCS relationship that I mentioned earlier. Um, but when they chose that they were going to send the code off as opposed to their, their own programmers doing the work, uh, TCS would be notified and they would evaluate the code. And they would typically do that in our environments, look at um, the code, um, provide an estimate and, and a proposed schedule on how they would actually do the, the expansion work uh, for that particular application. And as an FYI, it, it was, the contracts were on a per line cost basis. So once the application area accepted that, um, that estimate and that, that proposal, and we, as the program office, we would, we would administer all of that back and forth between uh, TCS. But the code would be gathered up, all the test files, um, all the libraries, everything needed for regression testing, and the, the test beds for positive testing were transmitted to TCS. And that was, uh, you know, that was through our, our networks and, and communication paths that we'd established with them. TCS would first execute an initial test to make sure that they had all the elements of the application needed to run successfully. So before they even tried to do anything with Y2K, we wanted to make sure they had all the executables in place so they could actually run it in their environment. 
And you'd think that that'd be an easy affair, but it, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it, it exposed the fact that, you know, if you're brand new at sending your code off post or excuse me, off, uh, off your own premises, you, you realize that some things that you just took for granted being in your environment, um, you, you couldn't take for granted because you had to send them over for them to be fully executable in TCS. So um, that was, that was something that we had to work our way through. And you learn uh, some of the, the lessons learned as you transmit the first to two couple laps, how to do it more successfully as we went forward. Anyone who's ever moved from an old PC to a new PC has experienced exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you're moving all your applications from the machine you've been using for five years onto this brand new shiny laptop. And you have this challenge of, okay, how do we move everything over? And how do we know when we have everything? Uh, As something as simple as a PowerPoint, how do you know you have the right fonts moved over? I mean, you don't really know until you start using it. Absolutely. And uh, so that was, that was really the first test is to make sure they had everything they needed. And then from there, they, they, they deploy their standardized tools against the problem. So they scanned the code for um, all applicable date fields, and they had uh, software they developed to, to walk through the code and find all two date, uh, two-digit date fields. And then they mechanically applied the expansion. Uh, after they did that, they would unit test the, each, the application to ensure that their, test, that their changes have, uh, have the appropriate effect. An application tested it to make sure that everything worked within uh, the application that we send them. Regression testing, you alluded to that earlier. Now we have to make sure that the application continues to work exactly the way it worked when they they first started. Uh, So there's been no business changes made to the code, only changes in date format. So that that should be a fairly easy affair and uh, regression testing is absolutely a must and many times we uncover unintended consequences of the date expansion. So they would work through all that and get to the point where they were back to a baseline that they established pre-change. And then the code is returned to us. And then Prudential had its own responsibility at that point. We had to do acceptance testing. Again, making sure that we received everything back that we sent them and to ensure that uh, we had everything that we needed to run back in our environment. We did um, our acceptance testing, our systems testing uh, to make sure that we could communicate with other programs that were not remediated. And that brings us to the whole issue of the bridges that I talked about before. So any time that we knew that we were going to have a um, remediated code speaking to unremediated code, we would specify for TCS to build us a bridge that would, that would translate old to new. And they would send those back to us as well. And as part of our systems testing, the remediated code was tested alongside code that was not remediated and the bridges that had to be crossed to make that happen. And then once all that was completed, uh, then there was the standard production testing, model office testing, and the checkout that would occur as we move things into production. The MTCS was on call for all of that. Now that's an easy way of just describing how we did it. Uh, I don't want to oversimplify it, but uh, it was a, um, it was an adventure in some cases in doing that. And uh, the, we really laid bare the complexity that we had with respect to the expansion methodology versus windowing. And I'm not trying to downplay the importance of the complexity of windowing, but we know that uh, we had a, we, we, we set ourselves up for a lot of work and a lot of complexity when we chose to go down the expansion path. But, you know, we, through our testing processes and our rigor, we were able to get there. 
stunning. You know, even just listening back, I was there back in the day and I remember these discussions, but even just listening to again, it just makes me weary. And there's a sense of being a juggler with, you know, 9,500 balls up in the air at the same time. And all of them have to land properly at the same place. <sighs> Never again. I don't ever want to be involved in a Y2K again. <laughs> Chuck, what were the biggest issues you encountered? Like, in other words, what, what types of Y2K problems did you actually find? And what were the, the challenges of doing everything that you were doing? Yeah, so first and foremost, you'd think that one of the easiest things we had to do was establishing a reliable inventory of all the applications that needed to be remediated. Uh, that was not as easy a, a project as you'd think it'd be. When you have uh, over 460 applications in a large financial services firm like, like Prudential and the individual life insurance business unit, there are apps that run very frequently, but there are others that run much less frequently and, and are not necessarily as well known as, as others may be. So establishing that full inventory, it turned out to be a little bit of a challenge. And, and Irene Deck established a, a process for the entire enterprise to help get our hands around that. But that, there was a little bit of a challenge in that. So I'd say first and foremost, we had to start with getting the inventory nailed. The second thing is, again, with as many applications as we had, the, there was a, a broad array of SDLC disciplines and testing practices that were out there. Uh, again, the, the larger applications, the more mission critical apps had very robust, very rigorous processes in place. But again, the lesser applications that ran infrequently or were smaller or, or less well-known or, or whatever, well, maybe had been had less rigorous practices, but there that was a problem because the certification process needed to make the the, the certification process needed to be uniform across the enterprise to make sure we were getting consistent results. So, the inconsistency uh, and the the variability in the processes was something we we spent a lot of time around. Um, getting the attention of the business owners and educating them on the urgency of the effort. So in a financial services industry, our business processes, really the only manifestation of them are the, are the systems on which that they're supported. So if there is a, uh, a business change, they have to be reflected in the system. And with Y2K and all the resources that it, it required, it necessarily uh, slow down a lot of the business related changes. So letting the business owners know why that was necessary to, to slow down what they wanted to do for their business was a, was a challenge. So we had to do a lot of educating to help them understand what the effort was all about, why it was urgent, why they had to delay some of the business changes that they had to make. So a, a fair amount of, uh, of educating and, and speaking from the stump to help people understand was a, an, another challenge. The, I, I spoke earlier about the expansion methodology and the fact that it was a more complete solution, but it was one that brought another level of complexity. So reintroducing remediated code into the operating environment turned out to be a, a problem that, frankly, we didn't, we didn't fully appreciate when we started. So establishing interfaces, bridges that would translate remediated code to unremediated code was something that... Um, Sounds like a fairly easy thing to do to create small, simple interface programs, but when you're introducing this remediated code into a, a very large production environment, raising and lowering the bridges was the term that we used, was a very complex management problem that, again, we didn't fully appreciate, but we learned how big of an issue it was going to be. And then finally, uh, again, going back to the business changes, <clears throat> even though 
we were able to convince our business partners how important it was. There's always something that has to take place regardless, whether it's a, a severity one problem that popped up that had to be fixed, or there was just something that had to be done, whether it was regulatory or otherwise, while a particular application was in the remediation process, it needed to be changed for business reasons. So when that application came back out of the remediation process, after the testing was done, we had to retrofit those business changes into the code, redo the testing, not only from a business standpoint, but from the Y2K standpoint, and then stage that into production. So that introduced, that was just another, another level, another layer of complexity that needed to be managed in this three ring circus that we called Y2K. Uh, so those are some of the biggest things that we had to deal with. The, the issues around Y2K themselves are the ones that you'd, you'd anticipate. The, the, the date uh, processing would, would be uh, incorrect and would cause calculation of values to not be correct. It would be um, durations would not be calculated correctly. And those are all things that are of very significant import when you're dealing with life insurance and related type business processes. So that was, that was the type of um, issues. So those are the types of issues that we had to deal with. You had a huge, absolutely monstrous portfolio. Any unique problems in and of that just itself, just by the, the sheer numbers? Yeah. Um, the, the, the management challenge was, uh, was pretty big. And the, the numbers, each individual application, so we talked about 464 apps. Each application was an individual project. So getting our arms around that was a, uh, was a significant issue. And we had to put tools in place to be able to manage that. So first off, we had a, we had a database that we affectionately referred to as the red, yellow, green database that had, a, uh, had critical data about each and every application. It, what type of application it was, was it a, how was it gonna be remediated? Who were the people who were involved? What was the schedule that it was on? Who were the key players? where it was in that particular phase, what we thought the probability was of making that particular deadline, hence the name red, yellow, green. Um, so that just having a control of that was, was necessary uh, in, in, a, in a very detailed way. So uh, we used the red, yellow, green database to do that. It was an access database. And, and frankly, I think we stretched access to the limit but after the end of that pro uh, program. We had to normalize the, varied the, the various practices in, uh, that were out there from an SDLC standpoint. So all of that variability in process, that's an issue when you're trying to create a certification that can uh, stand up to say that we've done our level best to be able to remediate. And that required us to put a very standard methodology in place that each and every application had to follow what they were going to do from a testing standpoint, what documentation needed to be created, um, and various steps that needed to be followed to get to that certification process. We also, um, we also used uh, portfolio project managers that were responsible for a, a, a subset of that 464 to make sure that they, they followed that, those processes and were staying on track. And then finally, reporting. So when you got that database, uh, we were using that in a way so that we could, on a routine basis, report to senior management how each application was progressing through the process. Now, there were systems executives that had a subset of that, that 464 portfolio that they were very interested in to make sure they understood how their applications were progressing. 
And on a routine basis, we would publish a very detailed reports that, that, uh, that displayed for all to see the various attributes of those applications relative to their progress. And it got to the point where people understood it was coming out. They wanted to make sure that they were showing up correctly. And um, that became a very, very valuable tool. We, we kind of hung our hat on the old adage that uh, what gets measured gets done. So uh, by reporting the way that we did, we were able to make sure that everybody was progressing in a way that was going to get us to where we needed to be in the time frame we needed to be there. You mentioned three categories, red, yellow, green. What were they? How did they distinguish each other? Sure. So we, we, we would sit around. We had a weekly progress meeting, my, my Y2K team, and we would talk about each application and the progress that they were making. And I had my portfolio managers because they were intimately involved in, in those applications as they were progressing. They were very much in touch with the project teams. They knew the applications. And I would ask them to give me a, an assessment about what, if they were going to make their deadline in time. And if they, were, if they were on track, and there was a series of very specific criteria that they would answer, uh, that they would establish these ratings. But if they were on track, they would be green. If they had a few issues, but they think they were remediate, they were able to be addressed and to get done in time, they were yellow. Or if they were in big trouble, um, and they were for some reason they had such big problems they weren't going to make it for whatever reason they were red. And we used um, we used those colors to to communicate to the appropriate systems executive where their applications were, and and that's where we go back to the red, yellow, green database because we lived and died by those those projections to make sure that we understood where we had to put most of our effort to get the, the portfolio moving in the right direction. Okay, here's a, here's a question about team management and everything. You have red, yellow, and green. How much trepidation did your folks have coming into the meeting and say, we're in the red zone? I mean, there must be huge hesitation to report that news. How did you handle that particular thing? Because all project management hinges on that. Sure. That's an excellent question, Peter. And I will tell you that it comes down to establishing an environment where this isn't about if, if you're if you're not going to make the deadline. It wasn't about understanding that so that we could, you know, we could beat up on somebody. It was about understanding where our issues were so we could apply the resources necessary to move that application along. So at least within my project team, there was really no issue. Um, where they were concerned uh, around reporting an application read. Now, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but there was, um, we had a very open communication style so that we could understand clearly where our issues were. There might've been issues within the project areas where they would, there would be some trepidation because if they were read, we were going to be telling their boss that they were read and they would be getting a lot of attention from their boss. So, uh, maybe there was more trepidation there, but within the Y2K program office, my portfolio managers knew the importance of being very direct and being very open and honest about, pro about progress, because uh, if we weren't, we, you know, we were introducing yet another challenge, which was really understanding where we were in order to get the job done. So it, it's, I think it's about just establishing an environment where it's, it's, it's safe to say what the, what the real story is. Yeah, I, I mean, I've given presentations where I've pointed out, you know, that the only question that's really important in project management is, are you, where are you in the project? And getting back the honest answer, because if, if you're not doing that, then all your charts and everything just 
are meaningless, absolutely yeah. meaningless. Well, I, I think having the portfolio managers that were on my team who were helping to manage the applications that existed in the application area, I had my own guy or my own gal in the, in the process who was giving me the, the scoop without having to rely solely on the, the status of the communications that were coming from the application team. You could understand that an application area may be somewhat reticent to, to bear some of the bigger issues um, where I, the portfolio managers who worked for me had no such trepidation. Okay. You, get, you talked about certification. What was involved in putting that big red stamp or however you did it that said, this one is now done? <clears throat> yep. And well, that was the whole point of this thing, right? So it, there was a pretty uh, well-described process for that. And we, within the, the, the standard methodology that we created that every application area had to follow, there were a set of mandatory test cases that needed to be tested for each date field that was modified. Uh, there was a, um, so they had to demonstrate to us that they had tested each and every one of the expanded date fields and they had to show us the test results. They had to co uh, collect a, um, all the documentation. So the test results in paper form had to be produced. They had to show us all the project planning and execution residuals from the methodology had to be collected and, uh, and uh, part of the documentation packet. And then alongside each one of those project manager portfolio, those portfolio managers they spoke of, I also had a team of quality assurance people on my staff. And they would go into each, each application area and they would be looking over the shoulder of the project team, the testers, the project managers and all the rest to make sure that they were actually doing what they said they were doing and getting the results that they were saying they were getting and checking for the completeness of the documentation packet that we prescribed in the methodology. So everything that was pulled together and when they were done, their, the bigger applications had boxes of material that they, they collected and saved. And that was all checked uh, for process adherence and completeness by my QA people. And then finally, the almighty signature. So the, the project team within that application area had to sign off. The systems executive that managed that application had to sign off. And then I had to sign off. All that we had properly certified the application in a way that was consistent with the methodology. All of that material was saved, put in a box for hopefully, uh, the, uh, hopefully never having to use it to, to demonstrate process compliance. We knew that, that there was always a possibility of, of litigation down the road if something bad happened. But um, so all of that was, was uh, had to be in place and all the right people had to sign on the dotted line to say that they were done. And, you know, when, when you're putting ink on a piece of paper, the methodology is important, but then people are going back to check to make sure they're not signing something that isn't necessarily true. So I think that we had a, pretty robust layered approach to this to make sure that we were ready on an application by application basis. Very good. I know it's nerve wracking when you make that final sign off. It's uh, yeah, it's like signing a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As you barreled towards December 31st, how are you feeling about the entire project? <clears throat> well, certainly there was some apprehension uh, because of the scope of the work. You know, you always wondered, you know, there's 464 moving parts that are out there. Did we, did, did we take care of each one the way we should have? So certainly some apprehension. But at the end of the day, there was no panic. We had confidence in the quality of the work that we were doing. 
We had a methodology. We had the process. We had the people in place. We had the support of management. We had everybody focused on this thing. So really, if we were doing our job right from a planning standpoint, we felt pretty good that we were going to get to the right spot. So apprehension, yes. Panic, absolutely not. Confidence, absolutely so. Um, and then you're somewhat resigned to your fate. You know, December 31st, 1999 is coming at you, win, lose, or draw. There's nothing you can do about that. So there's a certain amount of whatever is going to happen is going to happen. I, I always think back to a previous life. When I was in the Army, I was a paratrooper. And people would ask me, they would always ask, are you afraid to jump out of an airplane? And I'd always tell them, you know, being in, an air, being in the airplane, certainly there's some apprehension. But once you go out the door, none of that apprehension, there's no fear anymore because there's one thing that's for sure, and that is you're going to hit the ground. So <laughs> when, you, when you're falling, you know, you're, you're hurtling towards earth under that parachute, you're not afraid anymore. All you're thinking about is your training, the process, of, of, of properly deploying your equipment, checking your landing zone, all that stuff, because it, there's nothing that's going to change the fact that you're going to hit the ground. That's very much true of Y2K. You could be afraid, but to what, to what end? I mean, you're heading towards the, the, that last date of 1999. So it, it, then it falls back on methodology and process and, and execution. So it's, it's certainly some apprehension. It's in the back of your head, but it's like, look, we've done everything we need to do. We've executed. It's going to happen. Let's just, you know, keep working with the plan and we'll, we'll get to where we're going to get. Okay. And now you're hitting the ground. It's New Year's Eve. What was that like? <laughs> so <laughs> actually, you know, it started out in a, in a fun way. So prudential management really did it right in that we had a party on December 31st. It was a Friday. And in the late afternoon in the cafeteria, they set up a beautiful spread for all the people who were going to be in the office that night. And it was quite a bit of people. So certainly my entire Y2K team. And then a lot of the major applications had their support team in the office. Um, so they had a very nice spread. There was a lot of senior management there. And, uh, you know, a uh, little bit of you know, joking and, and, and carrying on and but uh, no alcohol, nothing like that. There was a job to get done. Mm -hmm. But around 6.30, 7 o'clock, it broke up, and we all went to our, our desks and got ready. Each application area had to have a problem resolution plan in place with either developers in the office or the developers on call sitting at a screen ready to roll in the event that there were issues. So not a lot of people got to go out that night. The Y2K program office, uh, was, in the, was in the office the entire night. We had cots in our office. And, uh, you know, we had, we were ready for the long haul. The entire production window that Friday night was heavily monitored. And there was a plan where we understood minute by minute, and that's not even an exaggeration, minute by minute, what was supposed to occur in, in that production window. And we had established numerous checkpoints where we would look at certain applications as they would process, and they would look at results to make sure things were happening in the way that we expected to happen. In addition to the project teams, that were the application area support teams, the user community was also in the office and they were, they were starting to actually, we brought up, um, we brought up our online applications. We started using those in, in the middle of the night just to make sure everything was working the way we wanted to work. So there was time, uh, there was uh, time checks at, at very regular points throughout the window. They would report to the Y2K office, any issues that would come up or report that everything was nominal. 
I would in turn report back to management. If there was issues, we started a, a problems resolutions process. I was also reporting to Irene Deck's overall enterprise Y2K con, uh, control office that they'd established. So everybody was all hands on deck, watching very, very closely and ready to pounce on problems. And, as the, and, and then obviously just keeping senior management uh, up to speed. And then there was a heightened production monitoring in place really it was in, that was followed for the for following weeks as well. So uh, we just kept a very close watch on, on New Year's Eve and how things processed and, and, and checked things as they occurred. Looking back across everything, what were the, the key results that you think you achieved? Well, so first off, we only really had, I think it was one or two issues on that first night that, uh, that came up that were Y2K related. But they were very easily manageable by our routine problems resolutions procedures. So it wasn't like we had to press the red button or anything to resolve anything. There were, there were minor issues, relatively speaking, that we, we, we were able to quickly address and there was nothing serious there. The entire Y2K effort, looking at the, the, the six months after the turnover, there's a total of seven Y2K issues that were identified. And again, none of those issues were high severity. There was no customer impact that was identified and they were easily handled, being you know, able to be handled in our, in our normal problem resolution process. So from, from the standpoint of Y2K, the program was highly successful, not only within ILI, but at the enterprise at large. And so we look back on that as um, you know, time and money well spent. Uh, we also think there was some ancillary benefits that came out of it. So some antiquated systems that were replaced as a result of the program. So if you recall early on, we talked about um, remediate, replace, or retire. There were some applications by going through our portfolio that we use it as an impetus to, to replace certain systems that needed to be replaced. So we were able to update our application portfolio in a way that was very positive um, for you know, the operating environment that would go on after the Y2K turnover. We also had a pretty positive impact on the process discipline that, um, that we had across the organization. That methodology that we used and the things that we did to help get over the certification line, a lot of that endured in terms of raising our level of rigor in our process, in our SDLC processes. So um, I think that those had a, a lasting impact on the organization. And, um, and then, we had our, we got to have our, our year 2000 party uh, three months later where the enterprise threw a big party offsite for everybody. And there was drinking involved with that. <laughs> and uh, so the, the, the company did us right as well. So it was a, it was a very successful project when you look at it from just about every angle you can, you can imagine. Super. Congratulations. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on Y2K so, or anything else related to your project? Yeah. I, you know, I look back to how I got this role. I was a director in the systems, in the system organization back then. And I saw this, this position open up to, to lead this effort. And I knew there was going to be a lot of risk tied to it. Uh, Y2K was, uh, you know, certainly in the IT organization was understood to be a highly complex, high risk affair. But I figured here's a great opportunity to advance my career. So I threw my hat in the ring to, to, uh, to, to get this job, to, you know, get my name in the map, if you will. And, it's certainly early on, it was a little bit of a gut check coming into work every morning, not knowing exactly how you were going to get to the end. Certainly, we had a plan on how we were going to finish this thing, but it was such a huge project with so many moving parks. The event horizon really was 
it was like a week or two out where you were just looking at what do I got to get done this week in order to be successful? And that, you know, you'd spend the time in the, in the car on the way in the morning thinking about those things and, and then just work on that. And I, I always think about those corny motivational posters you see around the office. And one of them was to achieve new horizons. Sometimes you have to lose sight of the shore. I thought about that one a lot because you, we never really saw the end point early on. It was just about, you know what, just keep swimming and hopefully you'll see the, the, you'll see the horizon, the, you know, the land on the other side at some point. And um, it, it turned out to be a, a, a program that I think made a lot of careers for people who were involved in this and probably broke a few along the way. It was certainly a big help to mine. And that decision I made back in 97 to, to volunteer for this job turned out to be a pretty good career choice. Yeah, it, there were a lot of people who found themselves in this, who at the start, they had no idea if they were up to the task. I mean, they, they simply didn't know because we didn't know what the task was exactly in many, many ways. And then we got inside and it was that proverbial onion. Every time you looked at something, there was yet another layer. You know, I have a hole yeah, in the it, bucket, Eliza type thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the onion analogy is a good one because every time we turned around, there was something else we had to worry about. And, you know, I talked about the, the interfaces, the bridges. That was one of the biggest layers. Well, we got into this thing. We were like, oh, wait a minute. This is yeah. something we really have to think about. And there was plenty of those opportunities to have those little bit of uh, those moments where you realize that this thing just got bigger before your eyes. Okay. With an achievement like that under your belt, what are you doing now? Well, um, I've since retired uh, from Prudential after a 30-year career. Um, I, after the Y2K program, I had the opportunity to lead uh, several large technology organizations within the firm. And I achieved all I set out to achieve in the IT space. Uh, I had the opportunity to take on some formal responsibilities uh, where I was uh, leading some veteran advocacy work for the firm. And before my retirement, I was leading the firm's Veterans Initiative Office. As a veteran myself, I had a chance to work on some, uh, something that was, uh, I was passionate about, which was supporting veterans and their families to uh, you know, help find the prosperity that they helped protect when they were in the military. So in retirement, I'm continuing that work and I consult with organizations on how to expand their veteran and military spouse hiring program. So uh, anybody listening to this feel like that they wanna help tap the, that valuable talent pool that is military affiliated people, I'm always happy to help. Good stuff. Jack, I want to thank you very, very much for being a part of this uh, interview series. Uh, you know, telling the story about what really happened in Y2K, I think, is really important. Our guest today, folks, has been Chuck Savola, IS Director of Prudential Insurance. Chuck, do you want to say final words as we depart? And I'll uh, do my closeout. Thanks again well, for being a part of it. Uh, Peter, just uh, thank you for letting me be a part of it. Given the opportunity to to, to recount that project that lasted, you know, three years and change was, it was something that uh, was a big part of my career. And it was something that was a big part of the, uh, of Prudential's IT history. And to be a part of that and we have the opportunity to recount it and to tell people about the, what I believe to be the great work that Irene Deck and the entire enterprise office did. And then what we were able to do within ILI is something that, that I certainly enjoy and I appreciate the opportunity to do it. Oh, you're more than welcome. I really thank you for coming on board. Folks, uh, this has been another one of the interviews on the Y2K and Autobiography podcast. There will be hopefully one or two more of these. If you want to contact me, you can do so at pdauger 
at technobility.com. The first part is difficult, P-D-E-J-A-G-E-R at technobility.com. The website is www.technobility.com. And the on-demand part, if you're listening to the audio part of this only, is www.vimeo.com slash on-demand slash Y2K. Thanks again for being a part of this. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for all your comments. And this is Peter DeArger signing out. Be good, be safe, and we will get through everything. Take care, guys.